that meme where uh, it was it's a tweet and the I can't remember how it goes. It's like there's this girl or this woman that sees another woman and she says like, hey, you're looking fabulous. And she responds back by saying like, thanks, you too. And the other lady says, bitch, I know I do. We're talking about you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've seen that. <laughs> I kind of find wholesome memes cringe, though. I love it. I'm so I'm here <laughs> for it. Everything wholesome. Like, I'm just I'm hype. But speaking, speaking of wholesome, I feel like you haven't mentioned my comfy that I'm wearing right now. I haven't. It's yeah, because it's like those things that uh, Jenny does. And I just ignore entirely because I no, 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 no. <laughs> I put my hood up and now I look like a, a very comfortable Sith Lord. <laughs> uh, so a comfy for those of you who don't know what it is. It's basically a Snuggie, only it's a sweatshirt. So instead of being a blanket with armholes, it's a full body thing that goes down to my knees. And on the inside is woolly fleece. And I'm wearing it now because Lauren likes to keep the apartment at a brisk 45 degrees Fahrenheit. And um, it uh, it's extremely cold. And I have a very frail man body. <laughs> so I get cold very quickly, especially just sitting down at the office. But here's on also another thing. Speaking of Star Wars, I'm on a Star Wars thing right now. I've got my Porg mug. It's shaped like a Porg and it's huge. It's got to be like two coffee mugs of coffee. I don't know. Then, is Porg, is that like in the new series or was I, I just I think it, I think, I think they were introduced in Rogue One. I, I could be wrong, though. I don't actually follow Star Wars very much because I'm just not entertained by it anymore. Um, I gave up after the first six yeah i was there well, for them. this is actually lauren's mug and she loves it and i hate it just because it's so big but I, I don't know how to hold it then when i finish that i have a very healthy um diet mountain lightning to finish off Light. yeah it's the mountain do not i will never buy brand name soda ever yeah because it tastes the same you can't there's no way you can do a blind taste test on a diet mountain lightning versus a diet mountain dew and tell me that you can actually tell the difference yeah Okay, the whole blind testing, I think that's legit. I don't know. I I think there's validity to it. If I if I think about it and it's in my head, I can think like there's a clear difference between Coke Zero and Pepsi Zero, but maybe I wouldn't actually know that. Well, I think Pepsi and Coke is a little different. I can taste I can taste the difference between Pepsi and Coke. Coke has a little more spice to it, and Pepsi Pepsi makes my teeth feel weird. I like uh, I like when people call like pop spicy it just feels weird like i get what they're saying but it's not hot spicy it's oh, just like yeah. oh you added some spices it's to like this sizzle. yeah yeah uh but diet amount i don't know what the prices are right now but like uh, two liters for example a two liter of like mountain dew costs like a dollar 30 or a dollar 50 or something but then like a two liter of diet mountain lightning costs 69 cents so i don't care how rich i am i will never buy name brand <laughs> i think it's just funny it's like unless mountain dew comes back out with pitch black too i am i am 100 buying mountain dew but I don't, I don't buy like the normal, I don't drink like the normal sodas unless I'm using it as a mixer in my drinks. Mm, makes sense. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome back to Everbro's podcast, episode 14. 14. <laughs> uh, we've got, um, we've got a good one. We've got a one that's kind of close to our hearts today because we, we've been dealing with it for years and it, it's kind of the non-traditional agency approach. But uh, today we wanted to talk about it being okay to grow slow. And not just coming out of the gate and 10xing everything and getting that $10,000 a month mark that everyone is so strongly adamant about. It took us a while to get to $10,000. I think it took us two years to, I think our third year, our third year was when we actually hit $10,000 a month in 
reoccurring revenue. Yeah. And uh, if there's any crossover between people who listen to the tropical NBA and this, then this 1000 days was about right. And that wouldn't surprise them at all. I mean, that it was a, a right around there, like year three, where we really hit the big stride. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, we're in a solid spot. Yeah. That was when we like actually replaced our day job income at least at least we were making equivalent of our day job income so if we were both working at our day jobs at the same time we were actually doubling our income and we were sitting pretty good it was it was hell as we tried to grow but also too that's mrr and a, half of our income our revenue isn't mrr it's like onboarding costs and and things like that actually it pretty much is just onboarding costs as half of our entire revenue so the mrr thing is a good thing because then we can just rely on that to be like okay that's our paycheck or that's you know what we have coming in to pay our bills but cody you came into this uh a, a few years ago and you said hey here's basically the five-year plan and you would think starting an agency with a um like a five-year plan, you think, oh, by the end of five years, we better be doing like a million dollars in revenue. And it's like, it's like, no, it, that's not the, I guess if we both quit our jobs and then this is all we did and we just, you know, as you put it, no lifed it for five years straight, you know, maybe, but that's not the reality of things. And you and I aren't gamblers. We, we wanted to keep our day jobs, keep our security, keep our health benefits, but also grow something on the side to then replace our day job and and play it safe. Because at the end of the day, Cody and I, when we have, uh, you know, our own responsibilities to take care of, you know, neither of us have families yet, but we still have, you know, a half of a relationship that we have to manage as well. And we can't just be bums <laughs> doing this. And we don't want anybody out there to just say, I'm going to start my own thing. The best way to do this and the fastest way to do this is to quit my job because that's awful advice. Yeah. I think uh, the important thing to remember is to constantly ask yourself and each other, if you have a partner, why are you doing this? And is it going in the direction that you want it to be? Because it's very easy to say yes to things and slowly slip to a place that you don't want your business to be in or you don't want your life to be in. A big part of this most recently has been for me to be able to go back to school and study Japanese, which was one of the goals I wanted to. And this has enabled that. It would have been possible to have kept a day job, just reduced hours there and negotiated that. That was an option too. But this has been a lot more fun, a lot more rewarding and fulfilling. And just works better with the whole i'll say lifestyle design because that's what it is it's you know it's a buzzword but that is the reality so i mean for ourselves and then but also for each other i mean you know jake i ask you this regularly when we meet up i'm just hey where's your where's your life where's your brain at what are you thinking what are your priorities what's important to you right now because at the top that's important um making sure that you're on the same page and that if your if your lifestyles and your priorities are changing, that none of that comes as a total shocker, because uh, that can be very weird, <laughs> and you can have fallouts that way. So I, I think my favorite quote of all time, and I heard this quote back in 2017, maybe it was before I had even gotten Evergrow like basically on its feet. I, I literally had a domain name and that was it. But uh, the quote is by Earl Nightingale. And you probably know this one. It's don't let the fear of time. Oh, don't wait. Sorry. Let me back up. The quote is don't let the fear of the time it will take to accomplish something stand in your way of doing it. The time will pass anyway. We might just as well put that passing time to the best possible use. So I kind of lived my entire life with Evergrow and then growing slow while maintaining my day job with that idea in my mind that, hey, this five years, this 10 years, 
it's going to pass no matter what. So whether I grow it slow and safe now or take a big gamble, either way, that time is going to pass and I'm going to be so much more grateful I stayed safe and, you know, grew it slowly, but intelligently. But you, I mean, but growing slow isn't a risky thing. It's actually least risky. The only thing risky about it would be that you maybe you're not meeting your own internal weird goals yourself. The... You, you run a much higher risk of growing fast, both if you fail and if you succeed. Because if you fail, I mean, it's obvious, right? You sink all your money into this venture, you sink all your time, you quit your job, you devote your entire life to it, and then you realize that you're a shitty salesperson and you suck at marketing. <laughs> or you invest a bunch of your money into these online guru classes and they don't work out for you. The, the other option is is you quit your job, you invest all your time and money into this, you are good at marketing, you are good at sales, but you suck at business. That's then, very real. Then you realize that you now have heavy cash flow or heavy income, but you've gotten to a toppling point where you're going to topple over because you didn't spend any of that time developing processes and making sure that those first initial years of your business, which are the most critical for uh, continued growth, none of that was documented or processed out or you didn't run into, you didn't spend time thinking about different things that could go wrong and how to prevent that. I think uh, that's one that's one huge benefit of growing slow is you when you grow slow, you have a lot more time to think about the processes to put in place in order to prevent things from happening that bigger companies are dealing with. And like for Cody and myself, that's documentation right now. A lot of the companies that we started with, they, they just started, they just hit the trigger and they just started growing and growing without any documentation in place. And then a bunch of people, once they got to that point of heavy income, their team just started leaving because they, they what they did was they cultivated a successful high stress environment. And if you're in it for the long run, that's not the way to do this. If you're looking to make a quick buck, maybe, but then you're just going to piss off a lot of people in your life and, and then your five-year plan ends there. Um, I, I'm, uh, I'm probably stretching myself and making myself over important, um, than I was in my role and positions in places that I used yeah. to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so in my role wasn't, it wasn't unimportant. But it wasn't top level. I was nowhere near the top. Uh, I was I was a cog in the wheel. But I was able to learn and see these things too. And the the position that you're in when you do these things uh, changes the way that you do them significantly uh, based on various factors. So, for example, so I started my first job that I got hired out of college for was at Target Click that got acquired. And so sometimes I will compare in my head us and where we're at to those positions. And I think, so the big difference being, uh, they were, they had three founders that came out of an incubator. So they were younger than us at the time, but they came not like, not like a literal incubator, like, like not like a, like a baby chick, but like (laughs) a business incubator, uh, at a college. So they had, um, you know, guidance and support and that sort of thing. But also, they were lab grown entrepreneurs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but also, um, having three people, you know, makes, uh, makes a lot of things a lot easier. So there was also an acquisition where the founders two left very quickly. And I was even, I was late to the party, the acquisition, I believe it technically already occurred and there just wasn't a name change. They were still going through the process. Um, but I was there when two of the founders left very early. <laughs> um, after my hiring. So that was weird. Uh, and people gradually left and there was the whole thing. I, I remember watching, I think it's the what, secret life of Walter Mitty 
when it's in the early early in the movie where they're in the elevator and he's like yeah we got acquired and like the word had a lot of weight and i didn't know what that meant <laughs> and then i i learned uh i learned what that meant <laughs> it's it's a scary word so that was one environment and certain things applied and mattered there but then spinutech was it was kind of cool and unique in the way that they did it because they were a web development company who after more than like 10 years of building websites got heavy into marketing. So part of my role when I came on and the team was very small was just to be, it was uh, the marketing guy. And I knew enough because I had done enough, like multiple things to just field a lot of the stuff that they threw at me. And I had the knowledge and I, I say that and I pointed out because, because of the web design part of the business, which is very stable, brought in good money, they were able to fund this branch, right? Uh, and provide the security that other people starting from zero uh, would have a harder time to do and in, in doing. So for example, they could afford me, which sounds like a, a strange or dumb way to say it. But in contrast, you have us who are fully, you know, we're bootstrapped. Um, we don't have, we're not venture backed. We don't have people giving us money for the sake of growing. And when we hire people on the team, we're paying them with the money that we're making right now. And that also makes a pretty low ceiling on what we're able to pay people for the time being so we have to incentivize with other perks like we're cool to work for <laughs> that's not um, <laughs> i'm trying uh no we we you know so it's primarily well I, kids. I mean i mean yeah I, I think i think uh a big perk is is you don't have to work specified hours you can work whenever you want and that's really cool for college kids but yeah we're very laid back it's entry level friendly um, they're really on a ton of perks, honestly, but in, <laughs> in, you want, when you want is pretty cool. And a lot, yeah, in, like in the pool of the jobs that are available to most college students, this isn't one of them. Yep. Yeah. So that's when I think about those things and I factor all of them in and, and consider, consider the positioning, uh, I think you have to think of it. Don't, you're not in the same group and crowd as the VC backed California, Silicon Valley businesses. Don't think that way. You can't think that way. It's not right. It's not fair. And even if they're not, if even if they're just, they're venture backed or it's somebody on their second or third business, or it's somebody who's just got a lot of business experience, it's not fair. You can't compare yourself in that way um, to those people who might be going a little bit faster. That's one thing, or say they are going faster and maybe that's just not even a good thing the way that they're doing it. Because as I grew with, with both of these companies, I can't even say things were particularly bad. It's just that some things changed that were less appealing to me. I would say, in fact, I, I only really have good things to say about how they chose to do things. And I have a lot of respect for the way that they did it and um, thought it was really cool. And that's why I still ask them questions on how to do various things. But knowing how you change emotionally as the growth happens is important so you know where employees will be coming on to and where they'll be at with their experience. Because right now we've got people who are working directly with us and that's their experience. It's this weird, we're the owners, but we have to work closely together. So almost like an apprenticeship type of deal. But later people will have less contact with us. And then even later on past that, which was the case for like Spinutech, you'll get to the point where you don't even talk to people anymore because it's so big that those people that you actually work pretty close with, you got to go out of your way to check in with. And uh, in a way, it's kind of a bummer, <laughs> kind of sad. Cool. It's like, oh no, we're so successful. We are sad now because all the money we're making, but it's a real thing. 
and that's why I I couldn't kick it at a really big place. I, I it just wouldn't be very fun for me. And I know what my skill set is now, and that's developing systems and processes to create my own uh, life crisis, where I'm constantly in panic because I think I'm working from behind. And we're laying down the framework and what's needed to to grow quickly. And I guess that's coming up, probably one of your next points, Jake. But once it's done, it's just floor it. Just pedal to the metal and grow because you're well-equipped to do so. And then once everything is just amazing, you finally kick back, relax, and then think, do I deserve this? I, I'm coasting now. I Everything's easy. I'm making good money. <laughs> This is weird, right? Like it, you start to have the uh, imposter syndrome and identity crisis. And I'm saying those things. I wasn't even, you know, I wasn't at the top of those places, but I did contribute in a lot of ways to the growth and systems that enabled my work to be similar to those ways. So I want to touch on something that you said, and I wrote it down because I loved it. And, but I don't think you are talking about from like, a, from like the business owner standpoint, but it's knowing how you'll change emotionally. Because if you grow way too fast, you have no idea. I mean, who you were when you started growing is going to be the same person as who you were, who you are when you're making a million dollars a month. And that's not a good thing because as you make more money, you will change. And if you make a lot of money really fast, you'll get arrogant. You just will. And um, you also don't know how to handle it. And you don't know what to do in disaster situations. And this is exactly how VC funded businesses fail. All of them. Well, I guess not all of them. I'll get to the, I'll get to what I meant by that. But I, Cody, you've mentioned that I have changed significantly since we started this. Just one, how I conduct myself and how... I view certain marketing and certain business practices because everything we do now is super safe. And there's just a lot that I am willing to give up for the pursuit of uh, creating safety nets and then also just maximizing scalability in the future versus adding more revenue right now. And even in my personal life, a lot of my personal life finances and, and purchase decisions have totally changed. And it's because we spent all of this time slow growing and I've been able to grow with the business versus the business outgrowing who I am. And that's extremely important from my perspective. So talking about the VC funded businesses out there, I do want to put a little perspective into the listener. Um, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to brag a little bit. Okay. So I am a personal can I'm a candidate for being on Forbes's 30 under 30 list for 2023. Let's go. And <laughs> And it's cool. It's a cool title. It's a cool thing to be even considered on there. Um, send me a long email. I had to I had to do a really long survey about it. But uh, regardless, I felt very imposter syndrome because every single person on there seemed to have like some kind of VC funding. Um, you know, they raised two hundred million dollars in capital. All this, and they're on like they're in like the marketing sphere, and it's just weird to me because I'm like, what do you need to raise capital for in the marketing? Like, I guess I guess hiring maybe, but then like even then, you don't know how to hire. Uh, so um, a lot of these people, they have a lot of money, but they have no experience of how you know growing and and dealing with the pitfalls of hiring the wrong people uh, for the position, like we have, and you know um, hiring the wrong or you know signing on the wrong clients. But as I was looking through this, I I recognized something too. And when I casually drop this piece of information in front of like friends and family about being considered for the list, they're all very congratulatory, and it's a cool feeling in the short term. But at the same time two things one i can only brag about it for like five years and then it gets kind of old i'm just like back in the glory days when i was in my 20s uh, i was on this list quarterback yeah. <laughs> 
and and then like you know i can have a cool picture framed about it and then just like never talk about it um but the other thing too is i always say this to kind of reel people back after i mention that because it's like it, it deserves like um i think it deserves like oh that's cool like really congratulations like you've done a lot but like that's it stop it there because as soon as you as soon as people th- start thinking like oh this is amazing for you and then like start to question their own life because at the end of the day it's just a list produced by a magazine that really that's just chinese owned it doesn't really mean anything and wait wait is it chinese? <laughs> yeah for, it forbes is chinese because owned. it's chinese owned. well <laughs> well forbes is like the american business magazine you know like entrepreneur inc or whatever and it's just like it's just it's just owned by China. <laughs> I just like, oh, that's that's why it doesn't matter. That's what you're. <laughs> it real, I mean, it makes it matter to me less. <laughs> America, let's go. Also, have you seen some of the articles on Forbes? Like, they're just awful. Like, some of their For- their yeah, Forbes contributors Forbes. are just terrible. Like, how did you get on here? Yeah, but um, I think the one of the biggest learning experiences for me when it comes to realizing like talent and those sort because you're just talking about basically talent versus networks because what's what is success is relative and people in different circles have different levels of success based on their perspectives but uh, i remember when i went out to google for a training it was the first one and we were talking with some people who were at much bigger companies in the you know the area i'll just say that and i remember thinking geez you guys are kind of dumb like (laughs) i expected you to be a lot smarter (laughs) if you're this close to this and there's a lot that you guys don't know and it was cool because it made me realize too that like now I don't immediately go to, we need to be in the big metros if we want to hire good talent. I just don't think it's true. I, I don't think it's true because I know it's not. It doesn't have to be the case. There's more people. There's a higher quantity of people and that part's good, but there's very bright people who just don't want to have much to do with that. And because of that, if you can find them, I'm not saying it's easy, but it is very cool when you can. Yeah. Well, okay. So the second part, not to totally ignore what you said, but I'm yeah, going to ignore it. Um, it the, the second part was uh, I, when I reel people back in, I always tell them that, Hey, it's not that important. Just if it is, then name one person that's ever been on any Forbes 30 under 30 list. And nobody has been able to, to, to name a single person. And my theory is because it is all venture capital backed people who get a ton of money who build a really big connection with a bunch of people who pay Forbes and then just don't go anywhere. Their company tanks because they don't have the experience of growing slow. They tried to grow insanely fast, company tanked, and then nothing happened. Now they're in their 30s and 40s doing nothing. Well, I mean, a lot of them are still working for companies like Meta and Google and stuff but <laughs> yeah just the boring ones yeah the the boring i mean the boring well everybody wants to work at netflix <laughs> um well if you go by meta's quarterly uh business review they're a failing company sure. <laughs> they're, they're shrinking their first what their first quarter with um lower lower profits i know you got it's a good point i think it's a good thing to clarify too i'll give another shout out um to the tropical nba just because they specifically do point that out of, about themselves when talking about their target audience is that it's like bootstrapped location independent businesses and that's the mentality that we operate from too um it's not let's let's define bootstrapped real quick i don't think we've ever done that yet yeah that's hard because it's an ironic word (laughs) but uh i would just say you're doing it yourself um without financial backing yeah i always i always kind of envisioned it as like yeah you don't have financial backing and you don't have the individual support for specialized roles 
So you take on all of the roles. Somewhere like if you were to hire like an accountant and they also do like the office management, like that's bootstrapped. Yeah. And I guess I would say like even potentially just small scale investors, maybe you aren't asking for that much money. Like it's ultimately less than it depends on the type of business that you're doing. But for the overwhelming majority, like just under under a hundred thousand for sure, maybe under twenty thousand that you're just taking out a small loan, something like that. It's not like Donald Trump, like a small I, well, million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is a, it's a bit subjective. That's kind of like, you know, how big of a loan do you need to take out or how much funding do you need to be until you're not bootstrapped or until you're not, you know, capital backed. It's kind of like my analogy. I got a quick one for you. What's the quantitative um, figure for determining whether something is a pond or a lake? Mm. I guess because I always start out with like a subjective definition. Like I ask people, what's the difference between a pond or a lake? And then someone says a lake is bigger. I'm like, yeah, but how much bigger? You can take you can take a boat with a motor on a lake, but not a pond. Okay, so depth is your measurement. Mm, I don't have a quantitative. (laughs) (laughs) I want to know what the answer is. So if you're listening to this and you are like some kind of pond surveyor Mm -hmm. or some kind of water expert for some reason, please let us know. Uh, what use this for trivia later on yeah well i've even googled this and i couldn't find like a like a straight answer yeah so it's just whoever finds it whoever finds the water they decide like lewis and clark just wandered around and then they found one and they're like "Mm, nah that's a lake to me but that one (laughs) they did a lot of charting in minnesota yeah they'd have to for those of you who aren't familiar minnesota is the land of a thousand lakes but there's a lot of ponds they're like "Eh, it's a thousand ish and then we'll let the rest of the people deal with naming them. I don't think they even came to Minnesota. I think they actually went through Missouri. I can't remember. I I just, I think whenever I think of that, I think of um, Night at the Museum where they're like, <laughs> that part of it. Yeah. I was, I'm looking up their, um, their ex, their, their trail that they took. Yeah. They went through Missouri and then up the Missouri border, kind of between Nebraska and Iowa and then through South Dakota. So they didn't even go through Minnesota. Land. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, I know. Disappointing. <laughs> I know when so I live in Kansas. Try hard. Like, <laughs> yeah, they kind of explored the entire U.S. What idiots. <laughs> Our next point, though, just to jump, because we've been, we've been on this for a while, was documentation. And making sure that that is fleshed out before you go and start trying to scale because you can't scale. I mean, eventually, let's let's pretend that you do get to this coveted ten thousand dollars a month on your own. Great. Now you're working in your business. You're a slave to it. Congrats. You have a job. You know. <laughs> yeah. You became the very thing you set out to destroy. I mean, if without the documentation, you cannot get out of the business now. You now have to manage your entire workload plus documentation. So now you're going to be putting in 80 hours a week uh, on top of trying to hire people uh, that's that don't have any direction. And you're not going to know if those people are good fits or not until six months to a year later when, you know, you realize that, hey, I should have been better about hiring. But yeah. I got strong feels about this. I think processes and procedures are unavoidable, period. Whether or not you want to deal with that personally, I guess is negotiable, but it it needs to be among, you know, the here's here's how I see it. You can grow two ways. You can document and then you can floor it and or I mean not even floor it, right? Just put put some gas on it. And that's a way that it's almost somewhat my style. Uh, And if you think about it, it's kind of similar to product creation or something like that, where you have to make the thing and then you take it to market and you sell it. And if you do a service and you want to get out of doing the service yourself, well, you have to teach people or figure out a way to have other people do the service. So that is your 
procedures and ways of teaching people to do it. That way you can get out of the way and have them do it instead. So that's one way. The other is, I guess, well, okay, I'll say three, but the other is as you go. And it's as things come up, you do, there's some um, stop and go. There is, okay, we're going to take a break. We're going to get some of this knocked out and, you know, grow incrementally. And that's not the worst thing. I think it's pretty realistic. That's how we've done a decent amount too. Uh, You have to be willing to compromise a little bit with that because if you, uh, again, I think there's very smart people who would spend forever documenting and never selling and then never make any money, even though they've made a brilliant thing and you can't, you got to make money. So if you know that you're more inclined to do that and never actually hit the market, you're just a researcher or a studier and you're listening to this podcast, stop listening. Don't listen to us ever again. Shut up. Go work. Serious. Third would be, and I hate this. <laughs> I hate this, but it is completely valid too. And it is to never deal with the procedures and documentation yourself. You just vaguely reference them and have other people deal with it. And you, okay, I'm going to rip on Spinning Tech in a very nice way. Because when I say this, it was it's just not a good fit for me in my style because I'm, I'm architecturally driven. How Spinning Tech grew from my perspective, was they hired very smart people and paid them well. And I think there's somewhat golden handcuffs, right? (laughs) And that's a great, that's amazing. That's from an employee perspective. That's like so cool because you know, I'm, I'm appreciated. I'm valued. Everything I do matters here. But from a operations perspective, if you have the financing to do that, super cool. That's awesome. If you don't, how are you going to keep people around? And if they do leave, how are you going to grow and transfer that knowledge. That's a very difficult place to be in. So you can do that. If you have, I think some people would say money doesn't matter. I disagree. I think money matters a lot. (laughs) Um, it's not, you know, what's the saying? It's like, uh, oxygen, right? When you have it, you never think about it. When you don't, it's the only thing you think about. So I've never heard that, but I like that a lot. Mm -hmm. If you can take it off the table, then yeah, it becomes not an issue. You pay people well enough. But uh, if you know that you're not well equipped to do that, then you need to protect your business, safeguard yourself in positioning as you grow to transfer that knowledge in case people do leave for whatever reason, whether it's financial or not. Right. Final point with that is if you say you don't have the ability to really lock in those golden handcuffs type of situations or deals, then you will grow. People will be frustrated and there will be lots of tension internally that you're dealing with about people being unhappy. And I'm not really, I I didn't even experience this at Spain Tech either, but it's very easy to see how other companies do experience that. And if you don't have great team cohesion either, then people who have beef, it's going to be a hot mess. I I don't really know how to articulate this very well. Hopefully I did a decent job. (laughs) My main points being, I want to be respectful to the way that they did things because it's worked very well. And again, what do I know? I'm much smaller and we're trying this a different way. That's anybody who goes out to do their own thing and do their own business. It's usually like for me, part of it was people saying, you can't do that. And then me saying, okay, uh, watch me. I'm going to try. And then it works and then we're doing it. So there are different ways. And a lot of it is if we're ripping on it, it's because it's a bad fit for us. <laughs> but again, I do point out the positioning too, because if you didn't have the money to really show, well, you need to hire people who are smart enough to do jobs without processes and documentation because they just know the knowledge that there's a premium there, right? You're not getting entry level. You are paying for above entry level. And how are you going to do that 
if you are bootstrapped. And then if you're in that position, what are you going to do? You have to have documented procedures and the processes outlined in case people leave. There's a, I'm blanking on his name right now. Uh, he's the owner of A4D, Ads for Dell affiliate network. And I watched a video of him once and he said, what was it? We don't hire media buyers. We make media buyers. This idea being that they don't hire for the position, they hire the person, and then they go through the process. And by the end, by the time they're done, they now know what they need to do. But it's a conveyor belt, right? And it sounds somewhat impersonal, maybe. But how else do you, you know, convey that knowledge? I think I think it's some level of that is necessary. And for my brain, I love it. I think it's ideal. Yeah, I I think um, that's what I mean. That it, 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 it all comes down to. God, I sound like Porky Pig right there. <laughs> um, it all comes down to what you're willing to do and what I'm not willing to do is continue working in the business forever. So the only way that we're going to get out of this is if we actually have the documentation in place, which takes time because we either have to do that or we have to train people to document. In order to train people to document, you have to train them to do the things as well and which is what we're doing which is which is going to take time before we flip the switch on and start bringing in a bunch of clients so it's okay to go grow slow which is kind of um it's not the next one but it's it's the next topic after that but the next one that i i wanted to bring up real quick was just price your services as if you were paying somebody to do them so we've kind of touched on this in a previous episode relating to pricing but you can't price things as if you're just doing them as if you're making the hourly rate that you want to make and and again refer to back to our how to price your services episode where we're not actually talking about, you know, just doing an hourly rate thing, but like your internal hourly rate, if it's 50 bucks an hour, I'll tell you right now, that's not enough to grow. Um, initially maybe because you still need to build your portfolio. Once you get to the point where you're setting your prices, if you set them at 50 bucks an hour for internally, and then you start bringing somebody on board in order to pay them a decent salary, eventually you're going to be paying that person around 40 bucks an hour. So now your margin is $10. Is that really what you want your margin to be? So uh, keep in mind that when you should price your services competitively with the market. So when we did it, you know, our market's paying anywhere from a hundred to $200 an hour and we're relatively new and we deal with a lot of smaller companies. So we figured 125 an hour is a good hourly rate. And I'm sure that's going to go up eventually either with inflation or with expertise and growth. But if you don't price your services that way, you're, you're never going to grow. You're actually going to grow too slow and you'll be stuck in the hustle, the freelance hustle forever. So there's, there is a heavy medium between, between not doing the venture back thing or quitting your job and growing too fast. And then also making sure that you're not going to grow too slow. But with that, uh, our final point, which was it's okay to say that or it's okay to admit you're still working at a full-time job while you're building your agency or coaching consulting business so the answer becomes to quit your job or not to quit your job or the question becomes to quit your job or to not quit your job and uh i like i am still working a full-time job right now one because i can cody is doing evergrow full-time you quit uh over a year ago it's been almost a year and a half now and part of the reason is when cody you're going to school full-time I'm working full-time, but Cody and I have essentially replaced our full-time salaries from our previous job working half as much. And if you kind of quantified it in an hourly rate, we actually make double from what we did in, in terms of an hourly rate. Um, me, yes. Cody, you maybe not so much because you had a much better job than I did at the time. But we're not in a position where we have to leave our, I have to leave my day job 
But if we do get to that position, I will. However, I will say this. I do think that it is good for our growth and our scalability that I can stay at my full-time job because that means we are growing and documenting our processes in a meaningful way in which a lot of this work can be passed off to our employees and we can still maintain our lives without overworking and killing ourselves. Yeah, I think I'm... uh... I'm a big fan that staying at your day job uh, because it forces you to get your stuff straight. Uh, it's very easy to tell yourself that you're going to do these things when you're not at your day. Because I've, like, I've done this now and I've experienced it. It's easy to say, I'm going to do these things when I'm not working at a day job anymore. And if you just make a solid jump, <laughs> I can't imagine what that would have been like because the transition made it easier for me, but there's still a, a lot of strange shifts where if you aren't disciplined, it'd be very easy to just let things go uh, and not know what you're doing. I think you have to be obsessive to some level um, in order to keep things in order and where they need to be. But the benefit to staying at your job is it makes you respect your time because you don't have as much of it. So you have to get things straight. You have to get them in order and you have to think about those next steps and how you're going to handle them when you're not there anymore. So big thing being like documentation and employees because say you jump you have all the time in the world what if you just become trapped inside because you weren't actually preparing <laughs> to to avoid that and if i've mentioned this before in an episode further back about you know i think that there is you have high ticket consultants and then you have large-scale businesses and those are two different types of business models like high ticket consultants that's if you want to leave your day job and make a lot of money just working for yourself and selling your services at a premium, then you can do that. That's cool too. You can even make more money doing that. Um, I think eventually there's a cap compared to what you can do by building a large business where you're an owner and you have equity and you're selling other people's labor. But if you know you have to operate from that perspective and doing this in your off time forces you to think that way instead of telling yourself that you're going to and then not doing it. <laughs> yeah, I that's I mean, that's really good, too, because even even um, also I was half listening. So let me know if this doesn't make any sense. But <laughs> but um, if if you have this goal of separating yourself from your business or from your day job full time, you're going to go home and work that much harder and you're going to be smart about it. But if you just make a full jump and you're, you're going to go into survival mode and survival mode isn't healthy because what I see a lot of businesses doing and, and agent, new agency owners is expanding the services they offer rather than focusing in on what works and creating processes for those services. And this is something that we talked about, I think, in episode two or episode three, maybe it was how to which services to focus on. Because when you're in survival mode, you'll do anything to make money. If you have a full time job, you won't do anything to make money because you're already making money and you don't have to worry about just selling to survive. Yeah. Survivor is a good word too. Cause I think that's like survivorship bias. You have these people who, of course the, the loud entrepreneurs that you hear talking about this saying, I made the jump. I worked so hard. I put in months, blah, blah, blah. Then I made it. Well, yeah, you're hearing their stories because they're very loud. You're not hearing the stories of the people who it wasn't right for, it wasn't a good fit for, it doesn't work out. Or the people who just, <laughs> I won't say smarter, that's mean, um, are a little bit more, I'll say composed, I'll say composed, I'll say that, are more composed about their approach. And that's also, I think they're just, they don't feel obligated to tell people. <laughs> I think the people who also like boast about how successful they are, uh, they are, aren't. Like, I think they're full of bullshit. 
Yeah. I, you, you know, you always see these LinkedIn posts. LinkedIn is all just a big circle jerk of people just <laughs> like, you know, stroking each other's egos and being like, I, I grew this bit, my business to this. Like we're so successful. I retired my wife or whatever. And, um, it's all just crap. So, and, and so you can't compare yourself to any of those people because they're probably not as successful as they, they make themselves out to be. I very, very, people very rarely see the success of Evergrow because I don't like really talking about it because we're not where I want to be, but we're honestly, we're never going to be where I want to be <laughs> <laughs> because I, yeah. as soon as we hit a goal, I'm like, okay, cool. Next goal. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, I think it's, mm, I think that there's a progression that people go through you have you have people who just never listen to this stuff and they're just like i'm gonna go figure it out and then they just go start a business and it works for them and that's really cool that's badass um i think that there's people maybe more like me who were really interested in this stuff were hyped listened to a lot of it were basically keyboard jockeys right big fans super fans didn't actually do anything until the excitement goes away and you realize that listening to this stuff is very fun, but it doesn't actually make you money and it doesn't get you any closer to your goals. It just makes you think that you're doing things when you're just being busy and not making progress. And then you have just forever keyboard jockeys. And that's why uh, I'll tell people like, thanks for listening. I really appreciate that. But if it comes down to you listening to us or you building a business, then stop listening to us, go away and go build your business because that's just the reality is it's it's not sexy it's not the the actual stuff the real stuff the filing biennial reports with the state the paying lawyers for advice because you don't know what you're doing for something sending creating sending invoices and and checking the books it's not uh sending uh paying quarterly payroll taxes yeah yeah that's not nobody's bragging about that (laughs) nobody's like i want to see that post i want to be like all right just pay my taxes for this quarter let's go like nobody's <laughs> nobody cares that's not fun it's yo here's me and my bugatti check it out private jet this is sweet isn't it like come on it's if you don't learn to love that crappy part or if that you can't not even put up with it you have to like it somewhat or you have to find a way to get it done um Dude, i actually i like it better because like when i can say yeah we just paid quarterly payroll taxes for our employees like I think that's really cool to brag about to friends and, and family because it's not sexy, but it's also something they don't know anything about. And so when you when you bring it up, you're like, oh, like this is like a legitimate business. Yep. So when we were first able to say that and and do that, and when we were health insurance shopping, that was really cool. That was like, this is better than me buying a Lamborghini because that's not just me being successful. That's me building like an empire or business. Mm-hmm. And I think getting into those those legality details of you know, having to de- actually deal with certain taxes that people will never have to pay yep. because they don't own any assets like this. Yeah. Then I think that is that is very cool. Um, it's not sexy, but it's it's intelligent, which is I think the new sexy. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a cool confidence. I agree, like to it that you you grow into and you realize that I don't have to know how to do all these things. I have to know how to facilitate these things and get them done. And other people don't even have the confidence for that. Like. They don't even know where to start and getting to the place where we are, where it's, well, we don't know how to do everything, but we will figure out everything that we need to do because that's what you do. So things like that, getting to that point is a lot of fun where you can just tell people some of these things. And I think it's especially fun when you're talking to business owners who have done uh, more than that, because then they can tell you like, ah, yeah, I did this and I learned from that. I'm like, okay, cool. Well, we just avoided (laughs) 
<laughs> we avoided an expensive problem that we didn't even know existed. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. So and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap it up. I think we've been I think we've been at this for a while. I think people are getting tired of hearing us. Um, so let's let's wrap it up real quick. OK, so it's it's OK to grow slow. One, growing too fast can cause huge issues in the future. It's a great short term. It might be a great short term, might be seem cool um, to be to be wealthy fast, but then it's not going to last forever uh, if you don't do it right. Document everything. That's that's the best way to hit that five-year mark and then go way past it. Uh, price your services is if you are paying people to do them. If you don't price them correctly, you're going to be a freelancer forever and you're going to have the job of working for you, which is awful. Last one is to quit your job or to not quit your job. It's okay to have a full-time gig while you're growing something. I say it's okay to have that full-time gig for as long as you want. It, I almost consider it a badge of honor if you're able to grow something to a million dollars a year and still have a full-time job. That just means your processes kick serious ass because it's working while you're working at something totally different. And if it gets to that point and you can leave your day job, guess what? You can start another business and you can have another revenue stream. But you can never get to that if you don't get to the point where you actually have all your processes documented and you're able to even spend 40 hours somewhere else. So that's everything I had. I, uh, Cody, do you have any final notes? Nah, we're good. All right, everybody, bye. Bye.